What's up, guys? Another week, another episode of the Dry Heat Podcast with Cuse and Hans. As always, brought to you by our unofficial official sponsor, Canadian Mist, a blend known for its deliciousness, period. Also, shout out to potential new sponsor, Hensley, Hensley Beverage Company. We shouted out Oh Yeah Bars last week. This week, this week we thought we thought we would dabble into the non-alcoholic beverages portfolio for them. Shout out to uh, Arizona Iced Tea, which I do drink a lot of actually, although it's not from Arizona. And then Jones Soda Blue. If you have not tried it, hit your local convenience store. It's the best one. Dude, I'm gonna have to try that out. I've not. I've had some Easy Iced Tea, but you know, not next. You never had a Jones? No. Oh my goodness! The meal after Ingleside Middle School, the bell rings two forty-five. You cross Arcadia Park. You hit the busy, busy corner of Indian School and Fifty-sixth Street. On that corner, the convenience store that shaped my entire childhood. It used to be called. 56th Street Deli. I'm not quite sure what it's called anymore. They make sandwiches in the back. Grab a Blue Jones soda and some Cheetos Puffs. That I mean, that's, that's summer heat survival necessities right there. Dude, you should, uh, you should write a novel someday. That was better than Chapito Tada. It makes me feel like I'm there. Yeah, it's... It's great, bro. It's great, bro. But, dude, now I wish I was there because Arizona sports are heating up, baby. As the temperatures rise, so does the play of a special Arizona team. Alec, take us away. Dude, dude, the Phoenix Suns have been absolutely legendary, and the Valley is feeling it. It was you know, last week was 117 the entire week with a low of 90, 91, 92. But did that stop people from just rallying behind the Suns and going out and mobbing in squads to support the team? Absolutely not. I mean, why would it, you know? I mean, Arizona people are a special breed of people, both, you know, because some of them are kind of interesting. But secondly, we just show up for Phoenician basketball, baby. Phoenix Suns basketball is the sport of Phoenix. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I don't think, you know, no disrespect to the other major sports teams. Love them, but nothing gets the Valley going quite like the Phoenix Suns. You know what this team kind of reminds me of, Alec? I was actually thinking about this yesterday and then even the day before that. I was thinking about how this team reminds me of a college basketball team. And that's fitting because obviously you went to a basketball school, University of Arizona. I mean, our our one of our best players this year, DeAndre Ayn, from that school. I mean, you went there for four years, basketball program. Does it give you serious vibes of Tucson and the Valley right now? As far as, you know, I would never compare Phoenix to the shithole that is Tucson. But <laughs> the absolutely rocking nature of Phoenix Suns basketball and the fandom behind it parallels to the Arizona Wildcats' big seasons. Dude, it's funny you say that. I, I think just the other day I heard someone on the radio maybe mention something similar. Um, but, yeah, going down in Tucson, 
whatever your thoughts are on Tucson, for better or for worse, the Arizona Wildcats basketball program, that is their sporting venue. They don't have a pro sports team down there. It's the Arizona Wildcats. So the whole city kind of mobs behind them. And I see the same thing happening here in Phoenix, not just in the, the fandom backing them kind of like they do down in Tucson, but the fact that this team plays with an energy that doesn't really match what you're used to seeing in the NBA with these pros, you know? A hundred percent. I think, you know, another great parallel right there is the one of the oldest players on this team outside of CP3 is Devin Booker. He's legitimately one of the oldest players on the team. Him and Cam Johnson being the same age. Uh, I think they're 24 years old. And then you think about DeAndre Ayton's 22. And, you know, most of the – I mean, Cam – I believe campaign is also 24, 25. And a lot of these guys are just out of college dudes. And I feel like you, like you were saying, like – and we've talked about before, the Suns the, – and the reason why they play so well on the road the reason why they played so well these entire playoffs, even when they might not be shooting great, is because they're not even really a shooting team for how much how good they are at shooting. They're a defense-oriented passing basketball team, which is, like, to me, the definition of college basketball. And so to see the way the energy that comes out of them when they're playing, just it, it really is – like watching a March Madness game with the boys going all out because this could be their last game. Yeah, they, they approach every game like it's a single elimination game, like they have to win it, which is rare. And it's something that I think we need to appreciate. And it's probably why they're currently on the playoff win streak that they're on, which is insane, by the way. Like how hard it is to win nine games in a row. That's absurd. We are... 9-0 and since LeBron James clowned Jay Crowder. Oh, on the uh, the post-up? Yeah, we are 9-0. and That was game three against the Lakers. LeBron thought he had us. How, where is LeBron now? I think he's fishing in Cabo. Yeah, I mean, he's not on the playing basketball right now. He's playing no meaningful basketball. And now you still hear about LeBron James. But honestly, who cares? And so, speaking of a game which we had to have, Game two was that game, a game in which the Suns really did not play great basketball. Devin Booker finishes with 20 points, yet has nine free throws, only makes roughly five shots on the floor. No Chris Paul, our, our leader, our general, someone you can clearly notice who isn't there when he isn't there. Yet, in classic college basketball fashion, a new superstar rises to the forefront. We've known about DeAndre Ayton. He has had massive games all playoffs long, 24 and 12, obviously the massive dunk. But before we get into that, Cameron Payne, the pain train, the campaign for Cam Payne to get paid, baby. A man who scored 28 points the entire Nuggets series in four games goes off in game two for 29 points, nine assists, and zero turnovers. How does that make yeah. you feel, Alec? That, what you just said there's the biggest stat. I mean, we did not play great game two. You're absolutely right. We're missing Chris Paul which means you need you think you need everyone else to step up and play at their best without Chris Paul. 
that didn't happen, and yet we still get by that game for, for lots of reasons. But one of the biggest reasons why we were even in it throughout the whole game is campaign. I mean, he stepped in and filled CP3's role almost effortlessly. Yeah, at the end there, you know, you wish you had Chris Paul in those final three minutes because he's the type of guy that will control the pace, get you that mid-range basket that you need to have to add the, you know, the coming storm of playoff P and the Clippers. But campaign is not just a score. At least he wasn't in game two. He had nine assists. He got the offense moving. He tried to get guys involved even when they weren't shooting that well. And if guys shot a little bit better, I bet you campaign has more than nine assists. So I don't think enough can be said for that performance in both games, one and in game two, but especially in game two. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think uh, if you look back at the tape, Jake Crowder had some interesting decisions as far as where he was positioned on the floor on the offensive zone, leading to a couple of Booker turnovers, who was a turnover machine again when he has to handle the ball, just not his skill set. And campaign with a massive two games. I mean, this is a guy who before the bubble last year when we went 8-0 was playing for the Texas Legends of the G League and was playing China basketball. And to, to do what he's done with the Suns, I mean, did you see this coming at any point this year? No, I mean, he was such a nice addition in the bubble where you kind of see it's like what, you know, what do you have to lose? Get an extra body in there for the bubble and see what happens. And then he kind of went off and people started, well, not people, Arizona people started realizing, hey, campaign was pretty good as a backup to Ricky Rubio in the bubble. Like, let's let's keep that going because he's not going to cost that much. And so I was always pleased with him. He's had his ups and downs, but there's no way anyone could have predicted that he would have done this. To, to go from, like you said, being basically out of the league to a year later being one of the most important players in a Western Conference Finals. Like, what a Cinderella story right there. Jeez. I mean, yeah, we've all seen the, the quote of some random Chicago person who said that the first, within they traded for him for OK, from OKC, and within two weeks they cut him. And the quote was, yeah, we just knew right away this guy wasn't built for NBA basketball. From that to dropping 29-9 in an efficient way also, I mean, you just have to be so impressed with the campaign story. And, you know, to the point about the bubble, James Jones, sometimes when you're great, you get a little lucky. And signing campaign to whatever his bubble deal was, that also allowed him to be as part of the team this year also. I mean, signing him to basically a two-year situation for the Suns. I mean – the genius continues to grow for champ, executive of the year. I mean, such a stud. Um, and now moving on, let's touch on DeAndre. And I mean, the people want to know. I mean, we're talking about DeAndre Ayton here. DeAndre Ayton. This man is the first player with five games of 20 points on 70% shooting in a single postseason since Dwight Howard in 2009. Superman Dwight Howard. And we can always talk about like what he turned into, but when he was on the Magic and that he was dominating LeBron-led Cavs teams and the Kevin Garnett Celtics and the Heat, oh my God. I mean, that's – I still remember watching how dominant Dwight Howard was that playoff run, and that is the type of player that we were talking about with DeAndre Ayton 
I mean, this is historical what he's doing here. Yeah, he's really honing his craft. I mean, I remember, you know, to be fair, there is there is fair criticism during the season about the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of, of his game, and should he be more aggressive? Should he force the issue a little more? Is it okay for him to be passive? All that kind of stuff. That's why we had the eight and watch 2021. And I don't know if he was listening to UQs or if he was just internally motivating himself, but Aiden Watch 2021 has turned into dominating in the playoffs. And it's impressive to see he's honed his game. He's been so efficient. He's not taking bad shots. He's picking the right shots. And not just that, but he's scoring at very important moments, like moments where, hey, they're kind of making a comeback. We're kind of letting this game slip away. And he's a guy that's going to go get you a sure bucket, which is not something I think most people would expect from him going into this playoffs. I mean, absolutely. And, I mean, you could even see the point where the Clippers are, like, feeling really good coming into this series. Like, oh, yeah, we just bested Rudy Gobert. And I think going back to maybe a few pods ago, but, I mean, Rudy Gobert comparison to DeAndre Ayton maybe made sense before this playoff run for DeAndre Ayan. But the level he has taken here, the coaching that he has let absorb in his mind to be led by Chris Paul, to have almost no ego this year and sacrifice as much as he did. I mean, he gets I, – I guarantee you Chris Paul has lit his ass up a few times this year. And I, and I say that because Mikhail Bridges recently went on the J.J. Redick podcast the old man and the three. Did you see this? I did not know. Okay. Well, it's his JJ Reddick was talking about to Mikhail Bridges and asking what was the biggest step for DeAndre Ayton this year? And Mikhail Bridges, you know, in a very nice way, basically said like DeAndre Ayton did not come into the league with the best work ethic, which I mean, considering, and this, he basically says, I mean, which considering the fact that, you know, you're a superstar in high school. You don't have to do anything. You're jumping over little white kids all day, every day. You're a stud. At Arizona, you dominate just because you decided to show up and play. You're probably hung over half the time, still getting double doubles because you're just so much better than all the little white boys on the floor. And then you have to go from that and to accept what he's done, like to take the steps that he has to ensure that he was going to live up to his potential this year by – getting shit on probably pretty regularly and coaching pretty hard and building up the work ethic he has impressed Mikhail Bridges to no end. And then another interesting point was brought up is if DeAndre Ayn was in any other draft class besides the one with Luca and Trey, he would be talked about in reverence as potentially one of the best first round, first overall picks ever. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. It's it, It's never a criticism against Aiton. It's always a comparison to other guys in the draft class. And I think even now that argument has to be dwindling a little bit, don't you think? Oh, my God, it is. I mean, I dude, listen, even me, man, even me, I, I mean, I was never a, a hater of DeAndre Aiton. But, I mean, sometimes you see the thing that Luca, things that Luca can do uh, with the ball, and you're just like, wow, like, I don't know. And then you even look at Trey Young. I mean, he's leading the Atlanta Hawks to the Eastern Conference Finals. They took game one against the Bucks. I mean, that whole team is built by Trey Young. And so, you know, and then it takes big men a couple years to kind of figure it out. 
And I really do think like, you know, the steps that Aiton has taken this year are so noticeable and so significant. And in such a small per- matter of time, what he's decided to do, because he's definitely a guy who accepts the challenge. And But he needs to be challenged. And so to have guys like Chris Paul and Monty on him all the time, I think, you know, you're right. I mean, this year and these playoffs alone, he's completely changed that narrative's for 99.999999% of people. I'm sure there's some hater out there anymore, but it ain't me. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing you bring up where it, it's twofold, right? You can't just have one or the other. You have to have that veteran presence like Monty, like CP3, even like Book, who's you know young but been around the block at least a little bit. So they got to be there to kind of fire him up, to you know scream at him when he needs to be screamed at, teach him in teachable moments. But that also could fall on someone who's not willing to listen. You also have to have that guy willing to take that heat, willing to be screamed and yelled at. And instead of getting upset and pissed off about it, internalizing it and trusting that they know what they're talking about and learning and growing from that. So I think both those things are just the perfect storm for what we've seen come out of eight in this playoffs. Well, I think trust right there is like the big buzzword because with eight and buying in, not only is he trusting the coaches and CP3 and the whole squad, but in turn, you got Coach Monty Williams recognizing the greatness of DeAndre Ayton right now and calling a play for the big fella, the man that never gets the ball ever from a play ever. You get the ball down there with 0.9 seconds off the Mikhail Bridges missed three. You have Jay Crowder in a terrible, terrible position to lob the ball up to the hoop. And DeAndre Ayton with the Valley oop that will most likely reverberate through the generations of Suns lore. Alec, please break it down for the listeners what it was like to see the Valley oop in person. Dude, I can't even begin to explain the complex amount of emotions going through myself and I'm sure everyone else that was there. So, you know, we, we come from this last stretch of the game, which we'll get into the officiating a little bit, but it was nothing short of abysmal. And it gets to the point now where, you know, we think, you know, the Mikhail has that good look at three. He kind of was off all game. He misses it. 0.9 seconds left. Aiton fights for the rebound, gets off Terrence Manns. We have 0.9 seconds left. And yet still the thought in the crowd, the feeling of the crowd is we're probably going to drop this game. We're going to have to head back to L.A. 1-1 and hopefully we can get Chris Paul back and right this ship and keep going in the right direction. So there's that kind of nervous feeling of, yeah, we probably lost this one. And then you see the play start to develop. A great play drawn up by Monty. And then what I love too, I think it got some recognition, but probably should get a little bit more, is Booker your star, your MVP, your all-star, your superstar, the guy who everyone assumes the ball is going to for the last second shot is willing to give up that glory to set a beautiful back screen. And when he sets this back screen, the crowd can kind of see Aiton just streaking to the basket. Jay Crowder throws a beautiful, perfect pass that just missed the side of the backboard and lands perfectly in Aiton's hands just above the cylinder who slams it home. And the eruption of noise, I know you've seen probably some videos circulating online and you can tell how loud it is from there, 
But being in the stadium, I have never heard a louder noise. I thought my eardrums were going to pop, and it did not stop. It was just up and down, people screaming, chanting, jumping. I've never hugged so many random people in my life just jumping up and down in unison. It was amazing, beautiful. It's something I will never forget. I mean, it was a religious experience to a degree. I mean, I was watching it here with a biddy, you know, Monday night, late night, you know, stressful day from work, you know, got to come clean up. But I was like, listen, I'm watching the Suns game no matter what. And she was like, cool, cool, cool. She ended up watching with me, dude. She was freaking out as much as I was. This is how intense this entire game was. So intense. Dude, when that happened, not only did I not know what was happening in my brain and the motions that were coming, you know, not even being there. Oh, my gosh. I mean, being there. I don't even know, but not even being there, being a thousand, thousands of miles away, not even processing fully what just happened. I had jumped to my feet and started running around my apartment. No joke. And I mean, what a play call. Monty Williams should have been coach of the year. Gosh, I mean, you could just, you just, and you're right though. Like you just think about that whole play and it's almost like, you're watching everything you need to know about the Suns in one play. You have Jay Crowder, stud, savvy vet, pulling off a play where it's on him to throw a perfect pass, for sure. But he's the right guy for that position. Then you have your superstar, Devin Booker, who's jumped to another level. The comparisons, the all year long about how he's not even the top five under 25. They have Ben Simmons ahead of him. Not even having his best game. Sells out with a broken face, dude. With a broken face. He sells out on the pick play that allows Aiton to roll because Batum doesn't leave because they're so scared of Booker. And the team is too deep. We're too deep. Everybody's coming up big. It ain't with the biggest moment of his career to date. Potentially one of the biggest moments in NBA history, depending on how this ends for the Suns. I mean, epic. Epic. Yeah, and that shot to go up, the difference between 2-0 and 1-1 heading to L.A. can't be understated. That is massive. You get Chris Paul back for game three. Up 2-0 without your best player. Like, you would take 1-1 knowing Chris Paul was out those two games. 1-1 sounds like a good split. And we're up 2-0. Yeah, and I and I think another point, and I feel like another reason for the ma- massive eruption, just the emotional, like, and to your point, the crowd felt like we were out of it. And it all stems back to Devin Booker be thrown off in his, being thrown off his game by Scott Foster, giving him two early fouls which were bullshit, total bullshit. And then you have the quick technical on Jay Crowder early in the first quarter, thereby almost eliminating most aggression that you would see out of Jay Crowder on the defensive end because, you know, two techs and you're out. And so both those things definitely inhabited the game. And then not only that, as a Suns fan, you're like, wow, we have Scott Foster. He's throwing out technical fouls early. He's clearly... It, to me, and obviously a little biased, but if you look out there, it really wasn't a 
like a son's bias. Like Scott Foster was calling plays for the Clips, and he's known as the ultimate book cooker. Obviously, we'll get into his uh, situation with Tim Donahue. But then going down, you know, Devin Booker has the ball. He's driving down the right lane, and Pat Bev knocks it out. Clearly knocks it out. And the instant replay gives the ball to the Clips with, like, no time left. And you're just like, wow, this is the most Suns thing to ever happen in game two. Thank goodness Chris Paul isn't back yet. Like, we still have Tom. Like, this is going to go 1-1. And then by the grace of the basketball gods, Pandemic P with the epic (laughs) meltdown. Oh, yeah. I mean, the man has only gone 0 for 2 one time the entire year. All this dude does is get calls for free throws. He's very James Harden-esque. He's shooting 89% these playoffs on free throws alone. And he, again, the hundreds of free throw attempts he's had this year, he's only gone 0 for 2 once the entire year in early February. To go 0 for 2, a big meltdown. You know, it just it just felt like everything was going the opposite way for the Suns. And then for us to pull it out in the way we did, I mean, how do you feel like that bodes? I think it bodes incredibly well because, like you said, chips were stacked. I, I don't care. You want to call me a homer or just seeing what I want to see. That officiating, that entire game, particularly by Scott Foster, who's a fucking loser, was so bad. And I think it's actually a perfect time to get into it. Like, I don't know how Scott Foster is still allowed to officiate professionally, especially in big playoff games, because I don't think, I mean, I didn't realize it until, you know, I saw it get brought up and I had to go down a few, a uh, few Reddit streams and some, uh, some deep 4chan holes, but the relationship between Scott Foster and Tim Donahue, whose name will forever piss off anyone that has ever cared about or been around the Phoenix Suns. Their relationship was so close, so close, and so tight that they were so frequently on recorded conversations with each other all around the time that Tim Donahue was cooking the books. So to think that Scott Foster has nothing to do with that and still isn't having his footprint and imprint on the games is absurd. Is absurd, and I I just can't believe they let this guy anywhere near any important game. I don't want to get sidetracked by the Scott Foster thing because I simply think that it doesn't matter what you put in front of the Suns, we will overcome. And I think, you know, game two showed that to me. And I think it showed it to the entire Suns fans community as well. No, I agree. I think you especially see that in game two. I would argue even back uh, to game one, you can kind of see that. I mean, the Clippers made 23s in game one. Paul George went for 36 points. Uh, not as much – there wasn't as much poor or questionable officiating. But you read a statue like that, you think, oh, the Clippers won that game. No, the Suns did. And then you go to game two where you got, you know, poor shooting from Book who was kind of a little bit off his game. You got the horrible officiating throughout the game and especially down the stretch with all the replays killing the momentum and the vibe. And guess what? The Suns still pulled it out with the last-second value. So you're right. Put whatever you want in front of us. This team is going to fight through, and they're going to get that W anyway. I mean, the, the Suns shot 23% from three, Alec, also in the game two. Like, you're right. Game one, they made 23s. Like, that's crazy. But the Suns didn't even play well in game two either. 
who didn't play well. Campaign came to the rescue. DeAndre Ayton, masterful, masterful stretches there. You could the it just seemed like it's okay. Like throughout the game, it's like okay, if we lose this one, it's not this big of a deal, you know. Like that's what I was kind of like, you know, I was resigning to myself to a degree to the fact there that it was just gonna be one of those things. Playoff basketball, it's total bullshit, you know. And then all of a sudden, for DeAndre Ayn to rescue us like a phoenix, phoenix coming out of the flames, reborn again. I mean, this series, like you were saying earlier, went from 1-1, potentially being 1-1, and the Clippers feeling really, really good walking home, you know, maybe even thinking they should have won game one as well, to now we're up 2-0, and we're getting CP3 back, baby, rolling into Dude, game that, three. That's actually that's actually a perfect transition for what I, what I want to hear from you next. So we've talked extensively how, you know, we overcame these odds were 2-0, and that all was without arguably our MVP, you know, maybe Book, maybe CP3, but a, an MVP candidate in Chris Paul, a veteran. We get him back for game three in L.A. You obviously don't want to look past the Clippers. This is the Western Conference Finals. You got to take care of business. You can't, you can't put your foot off the gas at all. But what, what are our expectations here in L.A. game three, CP3 finally back with the team? I mean, it's an excellent question, Alec. It's an excellent question because the thing is here, it's not just us getting our closer, which you could see in game two. And I think part, one of the big reasons why I was like, wow, this just this is going to be tough because as the sun started pulling away in game two, they would make a couple shots and go on a little run. Clippers would drain a three. Suns, you know, going on a little run. Clippers drain a three. Like we just couldn't get them out of the game. Like we couldn't do the knockout blow that we had been doing we did in game one to a degree and then and all those Nuggets games and the Lakers last two games where it was just like, we go on a run and we just pull away and we don't look back. And the biggest thing with CP three, obviously is that he doesn't allow for the other team to come back. When you start pulling away CP three with this team destroys you. He slits your throat and then, as he's watching you die and slowly bleed out, he gets a knife and cuts off your head. And so I think not only that, it's going to be sick to see him back for preventing the runs. I think, you know, obviously Clippers will play a lot better in game three, game four, being at home, maybe being a little healthier. I don't know. It looks like Marcus Morris has some trouble. But on top of that, I mean, you got to think about the Los Angeles Clippers and Chris Paul's relationship. I mean, the man was the best player in franchise history and had to force himself out of that situation because they were letting his prime drown with Doc Rivers and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. And then I've seen the Clippers community has no appreciation for Chris Paul. Zero. And so I think, and as we talked about before, Chris Paul is one of the most petty people I've ever seen. I mean, the whole last Jordan meme, like, all right, bet. Anytime someone says, like, oh, they didn't think I could do it. And I was like, oh, I took that personally. That is Chris Paul in a nutshell. So not only is he going back to L.A., back to the Clippers, back to the place where he wasted his prime, not only is he extremely rested, I mean, that's almost maybe a bonus. You know, being up 2-0, I think if we were down 0-2, I think obviously looking at it a lot different. Being up 2-0, I mean, you're looking at CP3 fully rested which injuries have been his biggest problem. 
his entire playoff career. I mean, the dude just had two weeks off, basically. And so I think for all these reasons, I'm going to go with Suns and four. Dude, I love that. Um, I, I, I'm going to agree with you. I think this L.A. team, like we've mentioned, is not something to be trifled with, even though they're missing Kawhi right now. They're still not, you know, they're a team that without Kawhi, we're still able to get past the Jazz, who number one seed in basketball, you know? Overrated. Um, so sure. But, but point Overrated. Is, <laughs> Don't but compare my is- sons to the feeble Jazz. Rudy Gobert is a fraud. Donovan Mitchell is playing on one ankle. Mike Conley is only an all-star because Booker didn't feel like going. No, I get that. I get that. I just mean that this L.A. team clearly down 0-2. It's a little different this time because the Suns are better than any team they've gone down 0-2. But that doesn't mean you want to sit back and pretend like the series is over. But I think CP3 is a huge bump. I think, like you said, he's going to be wanting to prove something to the Clippers organization, to the city of L.A. And I think he's going to want to get in on the action because I'm sure he's, you know, he's a ball player. He's been missing out on these games. To not be there for that huge DeAndre Ayton oop, I'm sure that killed him. So oh, I think sure he's going to come out in a big way. He's going to be aggressive. Hopefully there's not, you know, it sounded like he was asymptomatic the whole time and really it was more of just the annoying fact that he tested positive but really didn't have any symptoms so i don't expect him to be winded or anything like that from you know lingering effects but we'll see pretty early on how that goes and how many uh minutes monty gives him i'm sure he'll be starting and campaign will be off the bench again but i think you're right if if cp3 does what cp3 needs to do and we play well tonight and we get this w it's sons and four yeah, I mean, I think it would be much, much different if Kawhi had any hope of coming back within the next two games, which it just all reports and anything I've ever seen is just like Kawhi, if he comes back, it's probably like a game seven situation. And so, yeah, I just, I mean, we beat them without Chris Paul and the way that they were battling us. Chris Paul basically prevents from happening. And then now, not only that, but if Chris Paul is playing against the starters, I mean, campaign just went for 29-9 against the starters. Now he's going to be playing the second team. So, which will allow for Booker to be more open, who had a bad game. I mean, and still had 20 points. I mean, talk about the evolution of Booker. I mean, not playing well at all, gets to the line for nine free throws, Still gets his 20 points. Still, I mean, obviously, the nine points were massive, you know. And so to not put your head down and sulk like maybe an old, older, uh, younger Booker would do, the savvy vetness, the Chris Paul experience of this year, you know, he gets to the line nine times, knocks down nine crucial free throws. And uh, I think seven or seven of them were in the fourth quarter, it felt like. Um, and, yeah, man, I mean, if Kawhi was back, I think maybe it's different. I would still feel really confident if I was the Suns. But no Kawhi. You see playoff P melting down. You see Marcus Moore is injured. You see that they're banged up. You see that they felt like they should have won game two. I think Pat Bev is a psychopath, so he'll definitely be probably throwing some punches at some point in the next two games. But I just don't think the Suns – I think the Suns are too resilient. It doesn't matter. 
you could even see that from after Booker had his known broke his broken by Pat Bev and Pat Bev was talking shit late in the fourth. He Booker didn't even look at him. He's like, I don't even know who you are. I don't care. You're in my way to Larry O'Brien. No, I'm with you 100% there, man. And I, I'm excited. I'm hopeful. If we even even if we just shoot a little bit better too, like Chris Paul doesn't need to come out and have a you know game four performance like he did in Denver with thirty seven or thirty six points. Like if he just does his normal Chris Paul facilitation and we just hit a few more of our shots, like those threes we're jacking up and missing that we make a lot more of those than we have. I I think that's a scary sight for Clippers fans. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, simply Booker's not going to go five for seventeen from the field again. Jay Crowder is not going to score two points. Mikhail Bridges is not going to score five points. Cam Johnson with a good game, also quietly good game. I mean, let me tell you something. I did say something about Cam Johnson, the effort, the clutch plays. I mean, the dude, every time he makes a three, it's not like he's making them all the time. But he did go five for five from the field last game. And every time he hits a three, it feels like it's massive. And then also Super Dario. How do you feel about Super Dario right now? I love him instead of Frank Kaminsky being in there. That's true. I mean, he's holding his own against Bookie. I mean, and then it's just you kind of go down the line. You look at last game, and it's almost like if the Clippers didn't win this game, how are they going to win any game? No, I agree. Did, I'm with you. The way that they win, they beat us. The way that they beat us is, one, they make way more threes than us. What have they done both in these games? They made way more threes than us. And, yeah, you know, like if Chris – I mean, if Paul George, like, makes – you know, he goes one frame from three if he makes those two free throws, I mean, that's definitely a clips ball. But sometimes on these things, like, you know, the ball – the ball don't lie, man. When you deserve it, you deserve it. And I just think the Suns are so much better. And, I, I mean, I just don't see how you slow down the squad when you have Chris Paul back, like the Clippers. And also on top of that, I think as the series goes, the – Clips have played every other day, basically for a month now, going down OT in these holes. So they were able to come up big against the Mavs, able to come up big against the Jazz in seven and six. But it's like, they're toasted, bro. You're running on fumes. So I think even if it, the series does go, maybe they do sneak a game in LA. I mean, by the time it's game four on Saturday and then game five being Monday, it's like, dude, they they don't have it. Without Kawhi, and I mean, I think the Suns run. I think it's I think Suns in five at most. To be yeah. honest, like I just don't, yeah. I don't know how they beat us. And I, I've been listening to the Clips community and like some Clippers podcasts, and they're like they're only they're only really things are like oh like pandemic P like, you know like he just has to play a little bit better, uh you know gets Canard the ball more. He's their big three point shooter marksman who for some reason doesn't get any playing time. It's really really strange. But, you know, you you just look. It's like, yeah, but Chris Paul's coming back. Yeah, but Booker didn't even play well last game. It's like, I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, those seem like two big, pretty big things that are going your way for the Clippers and the refs are helping you, seemingly making every call for you, and you still couldn't come out with the victory. Like, that was the game if you're the Clippers – that's a morale, like a significant morale loss because everything was going your way until it didn't. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I think Clips are toast. I think CB3 is going to make all the difference there. And I think Suns in four. I love it. I love it. Also, quick note, the Phoenix Suns are now FanDuel's largest liability in the NBA Finals outright winner market, a.k.a. nobody believed in us but us. But right. now I guess maybe we should. this is perfect time to switch to a team that nobody believes in, including us. Would you be talking about the Arizona Diamondbacks? I would. I'll, yes, yes, I would. I, yes, I would. I, tell, them how, tell all the players how bad the Arizona Diamondbacks are. Yeah, I don't think that this segment – don't worry, guys. I know we ran a little long there on the, on the Phoenix talk, but that's because we're so stoked, and that's the team I think you all want to hear about. So let me just remind you about what the D-backs are doing, just so you have it in the back of your minds. Uh, they set the record for 23 straight road losses. Uh, no team in baseball has ever lost more in a row on the road than us, so record books. Uh, we are back on the road starting tomorrow night, so we can extend that and kind of build that lead. Uh, we had lost 17 in a row prior to Monday night. We got a win over the Brewers. Uh, that was our only win. We've since lost two since then. Um, Carson Kelly has fractured his wrist. That was one of our bright spots who's no longer there. Ketel Marte kind of injured his leg, so he's out. Uh, Josh Rojas still looking good. Paven Smith looking good. But other than that, this team is just historically bad. Uh, it's not going to get better, and thank God we have the Suns because, oh, my God, I could not watch the DBS game right now, and I would be way more upset if I didn't have another team just egging me on in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, they're the worst team in DBS history, which considering, you know, you say that, it's like, well, I mean, there's been a lot of bad teams in DBS history. There's been a lot of seasons that have felt like this season. So to think that this one's the worst, and you kind of look at that squad and you kind of look at the talent we do have. I mean, even a guy like Eduardo Escobar, where you would be like, oh, yeah, he's not even playing that well. Like, eh, like who cares? It's like, I mean, the dude has so many home runs, leading the team with 16 and 46 RBIs. I mean, the guy's on pace for a 30 and one, like 90 season. And, I mean, he's not even playing well. So it's just weird, you know, Pavin Smith, rookie of the year. I mean, I think the biggest thing, obviously, is Merrill Kelly being the leader on the team in strikeouts with 77. Luckily, it looks like Zach Gallen will be back. Obviously, not the best first outing, but, you know, I'll be looking forward to those Zach Gallen dealing and the growth of Zach Gallen. Uh, I think, I believe Sunday, he's pitching against you, Darvish for the Padres, but, I mean, outside of a game like that where you feel like you have a good chance to win, might as well just turn the, t the game off on the season so far. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much all we need to exhaust on the D-back side of things because, hey, remember, Suns and four. Suns and four. Should we talk about real quick Max Scherzer getting naked? Uh, yeah, do you want to? Yeah, dude, I mean, let's, we talked about the spin rate. Obviously, we were running a little bit long last time. But now you look at the classic Rob Manfred is a clown commissioner statement by the players, no less. I mean, you got Max Scherz. I mean, Joe Girardi, a very, very well-respected baseball player, uh, manager, you know, calling out Max Scherzer basically for an extra check. And it's like, you know, 
if it wasn't Joe Girardi, I would think like not as big of a deal of it. But Joe Gir- Girardi is like a baseball guy. Like he's a dude you like meet that guy. He's like, all right, I respect that guy. He's a baseball guy. So to call out one of the greatest pitchers of a generation, Max Scherzer, for maybe cheating, is uh, was very questionable. And then the way that he responded was hilarious. And you got to respect it because these players all know that this is a joke, a complete joke. And I think it's clear by the way that the players um, are talking about it. And even ex-players like David Wells coming out and saying, like, I don't even watch baseball anymore and, and I won't until Rob Manfred isn't the commissioner. It's like, wow, dude. I mean, it's just so dumb. It's just you know, this whole situation is just stupid. Yeah, you're right. Rob Manfred is a clown. I think everyone knows that. Um, I personally love the fact that the players kind of taking it to their own hands to just make a fool out of the whole league. You know, you got Scherzer getting pissed off, just throwing off his clothes, staring down the dugout. Sergio Romo basically performed a strip tease for everybody. When he got checked, he threw all his clothes off, took his pants down to his knees, threw his belt off. I mean, it's hilarious. It's a joke, and it makes everyone kind of see it. And I saw I, – I need to fact-check this because I'm not 100% sure, but I did see something out there that uh, Sunday Night Baseball ratings are down like 39% this year, which, you know, a lot of that blend – there's tons of reasons for that. Viewership ebbs and flows in all sports, but – that's got to be looked at as a failure on Rob Manfred's part. And I think this has got to be at least getting towards the beginning of the end for his 10 years commissioner, hopefully. I mean, I hope so as well. I mean, it's just kind of like the enforcement of checking gloves and hats is just so ridiculous. Like, they're just going to walk out there and be like, yo, like, take off your belt. Like, what is this, dude? What is this, the TSA? Like, what are you doing? It's so dumb. And so – Rob Manfred needs to go bye bye. I thought, and uh, D backs, man, just put us out of our misery, man. This shit sucks. Hey, I'm going to keep saying it, though. Suns and four. Suns and four, baby. I'm not even, honestly, don't even care. I think that's excellent. So, yeah, man. Suns and four. All right. Now we got special guests Ben Epstein and Colin Zacagnio on here to talk some, some football, some soccer. Woo! Hey, hey, yo. So, as you guys know, the UEFA Euro Cup is currently going on right about now. They're getting to the round of 16, finishing up the group stage. Houston, I were just wondering, you guys being the soccer geniuses you are, anything you saw out of the group stage, storylines, teams, goals that were of interesting or of note to you? Ben, you can go first. Hmm. Interesting storylines. Well, I think uh, something that has to be mentioned because of the the gravity of it was, uh, you know, when Christian Eriksen went down in one of the group stage games. Uh, Very emotional moment. Uh, You know, huge bummer for him. But, you know, it was really cool to see many countries, including his own, rally around him. Um, that was one storyline, a little scary, but, uh, you know, had some positive stuff follow it, I guess. Um, I think Belgium looks like the clear favorite in this tournament from what I've seen. Um, and, you know, I, 
you know, nothing else has really, I guess, stood out to me so far, um, except I think one side of the bracket has shaped up to be a lot easier than the other side. Yeah, I agree with everything Ben just said. Uh, to the slightest bit of difference with Belgium being the favorite, I think looking at the squad depth that France, the World Cup champions from 2018, it's very hard to count them out. They are on the harder side of the round of 16 uh, and how the bracket shapes up. However, they do have kind of a gimme game against Switzerland, which we'll talk about in a bit, as their first game in the knockout rounds. Uh, <clears throat> the team for me that, you know, a lot, a lot of teams came into this as the favorites, France, Germany, Belgium. Um, is it, The surprise for me has been Italy, which it really shouldn't have been a surprise. Uh, there's no world-class stars on that team, and that's what's making them so effective right now. They are on a 30-game unbeaten streak after having failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup, just like the USA did. And they rarely concede goals. The Italians are known for their defense. And now they're just banging goals home as well. So I think that's a team to watch, a story to look after in the knockout rounds. Wow. I love that. Colin, you bring up the, uh, the team play of Italy. Ben, you mentioned, obviously, that scary Christian Eriksen moment. So now, after today, there were some big, exciting games today. Germany just sneaking in there with that uh, tying goal at the 84th minute against Hungary. But the stage is set for the round of 16, the knockout round. And it starts this weekend on Saturday. And so I want to get a little matchup breakdown from you guys for each of these games of who you think is going to be able to pull it out. So the first game Saturday is going to be Wales- versus Denmark. What do you guys see happening there? I see oh, Denmark taking that one home. Yep. I think uh, I think they're playing with rejuvenated confidence and their entire country is behind their team, which has lost a fallen star. Uh, the replacement for Christian Eriksen, I can't remember his name, stepped right into his position, scored an absolute banger of a goal in the last game of the group stage. Uh, I don't think Wales has impressed too much. Although you've always got to watch out for Gareth Bale. Have you guys seen the uh, man bun that Gareth Bale's rocking right now? What do we think about that? I'm envious. It's glorious. Next game, also on Saturday, we got Italy. Collins, uh, shout out from the knocked out from the uh, group stage versus Austria. What do we got going on there? Um, I think. Colin is pretty spot on about Italy. They're not being talked about that much. Uh, they came out of a very, very uh, – probably the weakest group, I think, in the whole tournament I think they were in, which is helpful. Uh, but they have a clean sheet in every game. Uh, kind of what Colin said, where they don't have any, you know, top ten players in the world, but they probably have, you know, a starting lineup of the next tier of guys. Um Second most chances created in the tournament. They're just super well-rounded. Uh, I like when they scream their national anthem. I think that's uh, gets me fired up. I think Austria is actually – they have some sneaky ability on that team, uh, and they're, you know, well-organized. Uh, but I, I think Italy, you know, comfortably wins that game. Fair enough. I'm sure Colin will agree with you there. Moving on to the next game, we got the Netherlands versus the Czech Republic. 
The Orange, I think the Dutch, uh, with Genie Wine album, formerly of Liverpool, recently transferred to Barcelona, is going to leave that or is going to lead that team into the the quarterfinals. Uh, they play a good brand of football. There's a lot of questions about the manager being asked before the tournament, Frank De Boer. Uh, but I think he's doing a good job with the team he has, even without their talisman in the defense, Virgil van Dyke. I think it's an exciting team to watch, uh, and I think they'll they'll take that game pretty easily over the Czech Republic. Those things are classic. I love those things. Yep. Is there a player to watch for Netherlands in that game? I mean, honestly, uh, I think he's kind of overhyped a little bit. Uh, but he's kind of been popping off. He has at least two goals, maybe three, if someone could fact-check me on that. But Memphis Depay, number 10, plays Ooh. up top for him. Um, you know, he's kind Barcelona of signing. Yeah, yeah. And, again, I you know, I think he's a little overrated. But, look, he's proven himself in this tournament. It's one of those examples where they don't really perform well for the club that they're at. But, you know, when they step into their national team jersey, they kind of take on this new persona and play as a better version of themselves. So he's definitely one to watch. I like that. Next up, we got Belgium, who Ben claims is probably the favorite, versus Portugal and Ronaldo. What do you guys see happening there? Um, I think Belgium is going to step up, and I think they're going to, you know, comp- I think Portugal is a strong team. They were in a tough group. Um, you know, they had some troubles in that group. Uh, you know, it took some last bit of effort to get by Hungary. That game was closer than people thought. And then, uh, you know, there were some goals called back against Germany, but Germany, who I think, you know, isn't all that strong, kind of dominated them. And then today they were able to escape with a draw. Uh, Belgium, I think, are just – they have too much firepower. They have a bunch of talent. Uh they're just super well organized. I love watching them play. De Bruyne is the best player in this tournament. Uh, and Lukaku is good for a goal a game. He's going to be, you know, one of the most successful international uh, and club players uh, ever just based on a production standpoint. So I think he'll score. I think De Bruyne will dominate the midfield. And I think Belgium is going to, you know, have some momentum going into the next round. I think Colin uh, just got a half chub to your De Bruyne comment. Um, <laughs> it's true. Baby. It's true. I, much as I hate to say it, it's true. Recognition like that is deserved for him. I, I think he's he's easily the best midfielder in the world. It's just very hard to say he's the best player in the world when you have the likes of Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe out there. Um, but I, I forget Messi's who they were not playing in against. This field. Yeah, I know. I know. But we're talking world. Uh, I You know, <laughs> when he stepped onto that field in – literally like seven minutes later to give the assist of a tournament and then scored an absolute scorcher with his left foot to win. I think that was over Denmark. And then his class act celebration walking over to the place where Christian Eriksen fell and had his cardiac arrest and died for a moment before being brought back to life by the AED. And he was just standing there very reverently, understanding the reverence of the situation. So top class player. Thank you for the, the full boner. (laughs) <laughs> I respect that. For Belgium, guys, do you guys think Eden Hazard has a big role in this tournament for them? Another guy probably before this season with uh, Real Madrid you would consider a top player in the world as well. I think it's 
nice that Belgium considers if he plays well, it's just another luxury to them. Uh, you know, I don't think he's been at the top of his game in a couple of years or fit. This would be nice for him to maybe he uses this as, you know, a chance to show that he's still a top talent in the world. His brother, uh, Thorgon, which is a sick name. He scored a goal. I think, uh, you know, he's a, he's a superb talent. They just are, you know, up and down the field are incredible. And, uh, yeah, maybe Eden Hazard, uh, uses this, this platform to, Show teams what's up. Okay, and then on the, on the reverse side, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo equals the all-time international goal-scoring record uh, today. Do you guys see Ronaldo having another big tournament? Can Ronaldo carry Portugal to the promised land again as they won Euro I, 2016, I think, I believe? Yeah, they're looking to go back-to-back uh, in the Euros. The thing is, with as much attacking talent as they have in their front three, their midfield really hasn't connected well with them. Bruno Fernandes is playing like a true Manchester United player and just shitting the bed. Um, <laughs> the back line, you know, I can't speak too too highly of, including I think the best defender in the world right now, Ruben Diaz, and one of the best defenders of all time, Pepe, in the center of defense, and they've gotten scored on at least five times this tournament. It's It's been – too easy for teams to to get through their back line. So I don't know how confident I am in Portugal making it very far in the knockout round. I was just going to say, how do you feel uh, getting backhanded slapped like that about Bruno <laughs> Fernandes? Like, what's uh, up, bitch? Are you just going to take that? I mean, you kind of have to. It's it's just the way the land <laughs> right now with how Man United's been playing. So. I, off that Bruno Fernandes comment, though, I, I am curious for you guys before we get – any further, uh, you talk about how Bruno Fernandes is like a massive disappointment so far in the tournament. Is there any other guys that stick out to you as like notable, like, wow, this guy sucks right now? Uh, I, I have one, one that's I have one that's relative to Colin and I. We might be on yeah. the same page here. We're on the same page here. So okay. Colin and I, Colin and I have been doing quite a bit of wagering on this tournament. There's a lot of money at stake here. Uh, oh, let's go. We can fill you in later, maybe, on those bets. Uh, Colin was, was slandering a guy who I thought is actually underrated. Uh, and it, it's the striker for Spain, Alvaro Morata, who's had some – he's a very uh, hit-or-miss guy in, in uh, the true sense of the word. He's kind of had really good spells at big-time clubs, and he's also had flops like he did at Chelsea. Uh, Colin was slandering him. Uh, we made a bet on his goal production, and he missed a wide-open goal in the first game and a couple chances, and then he scored in their second game, and then he missed a PK today and a 5-0 win by them. So uh, it's, it hasn't really fleshed out. We'll see how he does in the rest of this tournament if they move on further, but uh, I've been disappointed in his uh, lack of converting good chances when I thought – you know, that team can feed good balls to him and he hasn't been able to convert. So he's been disappointing. I like that. I like that pick a lot. Any thoughts on uh, – well, I guess that leads perfect to the next game, right, Alex? Yeah, that's actually a perfect transition to Croatia versus Spain. Who's up, Ben? Is this you or me? This one's you, Colin. Uh, Croatia, Spain. I mean, if we're talking about kind of a disappointment, it's been Croatia World Cup finalists 2018, and they really haven't been that same team we saw three years ago. Uh, Luka Modric did score, for, you know, what's up there as a as a goal of the tournament in the last game of the group stage. 
Um, but that team's just not clicking like, like they used to. Uh, Spain, though, I, it, it is a good thing when your team scores five goals in any game and doesn't concede any like they did this last game of the group stage. But uh, their number nine, Alvaro Morato, like we just talked about, isn't scoring. So when Spain comes up against these stronger defenses, which Croatia has a probably a better defense than the teams that Spain's faced in the group stage, uh, it, it'll just be an interesting test for them to see if they can can net some goals. I, I, I do predict that Spain will be able to, to edge this one out and move on to the quarterfinals. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. That seems to be like a typical Spain just powerhouse performance in the Euros. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, we got France with the young star Mbappe, the most recent World Cup champions, facing off against Switzerland. Um, yeah, I don't think this game will be all that close. Uh, I think France uh, is, you know, is going to be there in the end. You know, I think I could see them matching up with Belgium at the end of this. They have uh, probably, like Colin said, you know, top to bottom, the most talent and depth across the board. They're so fast on the wings. Uh, you know, they, they're just superior athletes. They control the tempo and the possession of the game. They can get you on the counter. Uh, I think that they're going to be there in the end, and they, you know, have proved in the last, you know, four European tournaments that they are, you know, they're always there at the end. So I think they're going to handle Switzerland easily, and, um, you know, they'll be focused and, and ready to go. And then next up is actually, for me personally, the game I'm looking forward to most out of the uh, first knockout round. I don't know about you guys, but we got England with Harry Kane versus Germany, who is a typical, you know, historical powerhouse, but has had their struggles of late. They just snuck in, like we mentioned earlier in the 84th minute earlier today. What do you guys see coming out of that England-Germany rivalry dating back to World War II? <laughs> Love the history <laughs> references there, baby. Uh, well, two two teams that aren't really clicking uh, is something that would describe that game. England has scored two goals, probably the team with the, the best young attacking talent, um, netted two goals in the group stage, both by a player who's probably in the worst form on Manchester City and probably in the Premier League, Raheem Sterling. He's scored both of them. Very disappointed in Phil Foden's production and Harry Kane's production, but I don't think it's truly their fault. Phil Foden's been playing out of position, and Harry Kane hasn't been linked up to uh, well enough from the midfielders, and I think that's because Gareth Southgate doesn't know what he's doing. He's playing with two holding midfielders, uh, and he's just rotating the squad out. It's, it's tough for me. Both teams are so stacked when you look at them on paper and you see the clubs that these, these players are representing, but they just haven't connected again gareth southgate i think is an overrated manager you look at the teams he actually had to face in the world cup to get to the semifinals it was a pretty easy path to get there and joachim Lowe, you know this is probably his last tournament so you know you, you got to question if his effort and desire is truly there he's probably just running out of steam uh, to be able to put what again looks great on paper into a great product on the field uh, I do agree, like, the matchup is marquee. You've got a bunch of world-famous players there. 
it'll it will be an interesting game. I if it's anything like we've seen from the group stage from these two teams, it's going to be two teams who you think are going to play this beautiful game, and it's actually going to disappoint us with the actual quality of this show. I think it goes zero zero, and we go to PKs. England passes. Interesting. I was just going to say that's quite the take. I mean, Harry Kane, another player you could probably put up there. Like you said, most disappointing player. Stacked England squad. I mean, yeah, that's stacked a good one. German squad. But I have to say, like, you know, when you hear all these English soccer fans on the East Coast say, to say it's coming home is what I've been hearing all week. And then they get this draw, which we'll get into a little bit more. But do you feel like this is another favorable draw for England? You know, potentially to it's coming home. I think it's their biggest challenge is getting over Germany after that. You know, Ben and I were talking about it. They've got a pretty smooth ride over the winter of Sweden and Ukraine uh, after that. And then, you know, they'd probably face off with Netherlands or Denmark after that. So, yes, they've got a great chance if they can get past Germany, maybe maybe actually connect and make some uh, score some goals. They can they could make a nice run. So it's safe to say that's the that's the biggest game of, of on this side of the bracket. You feel? Yes, hundred percent. I like that. I like that. You mentioned uh, earlier too, Colin, about how this is low. Low is done at uh, allegedly done after this European Cup. Do you think that gives? Obviously, it hasn't so far. But do you think that gives Germany any sort of boost to try to get their uh, winning as coach out on top? Perhaps. Honestly, I think that this tournament for these players means more to them as individuals than, you know, for their country. That's probably an incorrect statement, but I just feel like there's there's so much ego at stake here. I mean, you look at Harry Maguire on England, who was probably the defender of the tournament in the in the 2018 World Cup, and he becomes the highly most highly valued defender in the EPL I think transferred for 85 uh, million pounds over to Manchester United like the, uh, this opportunity these international tournaments are, are ways for players to display themselves and and you know set themselves apart from their colleagues uh, which, which is potentially why we've seen some selfish play from both Germany and England uh, and not really connecting those teams uh, we'll, we'll see if uh Germany and those players are inspired to bring it home for the nose picking, butt scratching, ball sniffing, <laughs> yoking low. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting point though. There, Colin, do you feel like and almost he sniffs these... his balls? <laughs> <laughs> no, Jesus! Oh my god, it probably smells good though. I guess, but anyways, do you feel like maybe with some of these World Cup teams, when they have too much talent, it almost gets in the way? Oh, 100%. I mean, dude, you got to look at, you know, the, the, these rosters are stacked and a lot of these players haven't played together for very long and they don't have that much time to prepare for tournaments like these. Maybe two-week camp before and they're resting still from the rigors of their domestic leagues. Like, they don't have enough time to build that chemistry and, and get flowing. And it's a very difficult job as a manager uh, to try to get something put together. That's okay. a fair point. Um, the last game of this uh, 16 knockout round is Sweden-Ukraine. I believe Benny's up here. Ben, what do we got? Um, I actually think Sweden is is a good team. I think they're a little bit underrated. They won their group uh, pretty handily. Uh, they withstood a, a really nice performance from Lewandowski, one of the better strikers in the world. Uh, Forsberg on that team 
uh, tied for second for most goals in the tournament. Three he scored two beauties today. Um, they're super good on the counter. They're, you know, fast and organized. Um, I think they're, you know, there's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of goals in that game. Um, and, you know, I could see Sweden maybe upsetting uh, that the winner of the England Germany game, um, even though, you know, maybe not likely. And it's a good matchup for Germany, England. I just, those teams, like we said, have, uh, you know, underperformed and, and don't look like they're totally on the same page. I think, uh, Sweden wins this game and, and will give uh, the winner of that England-Germany game a, a good one as well. I agree that, with that take. That's actually a perfect transition to this. So you guys kind of referenced earlier your favorites to win. Are there any sleepers out there? We, we're a gambling podcast, and I know you guys partake and dabble a little bit. <laughs> Is there any sleepers out there you could give our listeners You know, a little cue in that they should hey? the odds will be in your favor, throw some money down because they could make some noise and make a run at this thing. I'd, um, I'd probably side with, with Ben on the, the Sweden take, but I will also, again, defend the once fallen but resurrected, similar to Jesus Christ, Christian Eriksson's Denmark. They've got a <laughs> decent route to the, to the final as well they beat Wales which you know it isn't a bad side then they could go up against the Dutch or Czech Republic and in the quarterfinals and then they reach the semifinals where they play that bottom four of Sweden Ukraine or England and Germany so you know I I think that team is is, is very very good Casper Schmeichel I think is one of the the highest rated keepers in the world too so you gotta love a, a good keeper in the sticks I think there's going to be good odds on, on picking Denmark to make a run here. So, so that's what I would suggest to all of my gambling addicts out there. And, and what a story that would be, you know, you know, Christian Eriksen almost dies and then they just win the Euros for him. That's just, you just want to see that. So why not put some money on something that would give you emotional happiness? I could not agree more, honestly. Why buy a prostitute when you can get bet on Denmark? That's gonna that's gonna be a thirty for thirty story if that happens. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, like this Suns bet, baby. Hell yeah, um, you guys. So thank you for all your input on this UEFA Euro Cup. Now that we're past the group stage into the knockout round, I'm sure the listeners at home will appreciate it, especially those that maybe don't follow soccer as closely, because you guys do a great job, kind of explaining it in simple terms and making it accessible to everybody. So I want to give you guys a chance now real quick before we wrap this up. Uh, how is the Thunderbird FC soccer league going? Where do we see it uh, going from here in the future? And how can, uh, how can we help? Uh, I'm going to say something first. Uh, breaking news uh, about a young uh, coaching candidate with a lot of potential, you know, to make waves in the future. Um there is a Brophy head soccer coach uh, varsity vacancy that recently opened up and uh, our very own Collins Acagnio, founder, president of Thunderbird FC uh, and slayer of hinge dates, including his one tonight, uh, put in for. Uh, and, you know, it could be a long shot or, you know, who knows, maybe he gets it. But I just wanted to put the, the good vibes in the world because – uh, if he gets that job, then I'm going to be uh, on the sideline with him. So I just wanted to say that part. Wow. Let's go. 
Application is signed, sealed, and delivered to Bobby Ryan. It's on his desk. Uh, we're just hoping, uh, you know, maybe he forgot about the toilet celebration in the semifinals in 2013. Um, that got <laughs> or the penis you drew, or the penis or the, you drew on the track. Yeah, those two instances. If he forgets those, <laughs> I think I have a chance at getting this gig. That's huge, man. That's huge. Oh my gosh, I forgot about the toilet incident. Yeah, that was a that was a classic. Uh, anyways, <laughs> with Thunderbird FC, we're uh, we're still growing. We've got our club teams up to to three teams, almost forty players, and the talent and the level uh, just keeps rising. Our recreational programs uh, keep growing as well. We're going to be doing a six v six league uh for beginners starting up in the fall so if you know anyone who's interested in playing ages 7 to 14 that's how you could help thunderbird fc by uh encouraging our growth and getting them out there and getting them playing and having fun because kids need some fun and there's nothing that provides more fun than a ball and two nets and some friends that's amazing uh i do have a final question for you colin so that you'd mentioned the league's growing. You you put in your application for that uh that head coach job at Brophy. Hope you get it. Um, have you learned from your loss to Ben earlier in the season? And have you had a chance to rematch and win back that title of best coach? I I don't think I've had that title of best coach. Ben has my number uh, when it comes to our recreational league bouts. He I think he's two or three and zero against me. Uh, so there's no debate in who's the better coach uh, between the two of us. They say teams take on the personality of their coach. So I'm just going to leave that there. Also, <laughs> Colin, can you hit these loyal pod guys with a, uh, a merch drop or something? Some new T-Bird gear that they can purchase, something like that? Yeah, there's a uh, – if you go on to the Thunderbird FC website, go to our club page, scroll down, you'll see a, a team store. Can we get a dry heat pod merch drop too? <laughs> a dry heat merch oh, – we can look into it, man. That's all I ask. Uh, Thank you. Hospitality. I look forward to hearing the rest of this pod. Keep up the good work. Sons and four. No, Sons thank and four, you to you guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks boys. for coming on, boys. We love hearing what's up with Thunderbird FC. We'd love to hear what's going on with soccer. Because, I mean, I got to have something else to watch when the Suns aren't on for another week after we sweep the fucking Clippers. Right on. Love you, boys. See ya. Shout out Ben and Colin. Thanks for coming on the pod. That was super awesome. I think everyone listening in is going to love your takes on all things soccer. Um, and I hope Colin had a uh, – he was headed to a hinge date as he was doing the interview with us. So that guy's just working overtime. Hope that went well. Uh, wow. It's time for Grinder Chill Guy of the Week. Shout out Andrew McCain. Sorry for missing that last week, but we're back on it. Cuse, you want to go first? You want me to go? You got it, player. My Grinder of the Week. It's not even going to be a sports guy. I know. You guys are thinking, what? How can a grinder not be a sports guy? My Grinder of the Week is Andrew McCain. Because there is no one that puts in that that isn't hosting this show that puts in more effort towards this show than Andrew McCain. He comes up with the most creative, thoughtful questions every week. Pretty much every Wednesday on the dot, I get five notifications for new questions that he has sent to the pod to address. 
And a lot of them are things that we otherwise wouldn't touch on, wouldn't even think about because it's just so insightful and it, it really makes our job a lot easier when we get to answer those questions to kind of give some form and structure to this pod. So shout out Andrew McCain, grinder of the week. Wow. What an absolute legend. Clap it up for the boy there. Um, I mean, it's tough to top that. I think my chill guy of the week is pretty straightforward, to be honest. Uh, it's going to be an entire team, though. So a little bit different. We're going to shout out the Montreal Canadiens, otherwise known as the Hobbs, a team that in the first round of the NHL playoffs was down 3-0. It was dead. It was over to the Toronto Maple Leafs, the team that led the division all year that the Canadians were also in. And they came back, and they whooped some booty. Some booty. They thought they were dead. They were not dead. And then... They win the next series, another series against the Jets, another Canadian team. They are now Canadians team, Canada's team, sorry. We don't have Canadian listeners, so who cares? But <laughs> sorry, A, sorry. A, sorry. Sorry, A, 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 sorry. Um, but uh, a team that is now whooping on and has – to the brink of elimination, potentially heading to their first Stanley Cup finals since 1993 before we were both born. I mean, the Montreal Canadiens are doing it the way that a team should be done. The worst team in the playoffs to date. Worst record. I mean, Carey Price, legend. And the team is just a team. Very much reminds me of a underdog squad that has what it takes to take it all. So, shout out to the Montreal Canadiens. Chill guy of the week. Hockey reference type. Well, I mean, we're we're hitting our groove, brother. You carried that pod. I mean, you carried it yesterday, so I had to step up today for you. You know. Yeah, you fucking did a great job, <laughs> dude. I mean, we just could have talked for way more, man. Too. Yeah. I like. But oh, dude, I I looked down at the clock and I was like, shit. I feel like we could keep expanding on this for another two hours, but you know, gotta get it out for it's game true, time. So. Dude. It's true, man. Like, oh my god, I dude, I was jacked that you called me, bro, because I was like freaking out, and I was like, "Let's fucking go!" <laughs> yeah, I, I, sorry, I, I didn't know if you were gonna be asleep. I didn't want to wake you up if you had like a big day, but I was literally leaving the stadium, just camped, and I was like, I can't not talk to somebody right oh, now. Oh, dude, I love it. I, are you kidding me, bro, dude? I'm watching that Suns game all the way through, brother. Are you kidding me? Nothing's worth it. I can chug Red Bulls, baby. It ain't no thing. <laughs> but, all right, player. I'll let you go, man. Yeah, dude. Awesome pod. Great work. You're a beast, dude. You're a fucking beast. Hey. All right. Peace, dude. Peace, homie.
Turn it up. We the fire in the sky. Yeah, we burn it up. Hey, hey.